0: When you're in too deep, you have a lot to talk about.
1: Welcome to the
0: 222 Paranormal Podcast. With your host Jen and Joe.
2: Welcome back, everybody. First off, yes, sir.
0: I want to thank our listeners. The ratings came out. Out of the hundreds of thousands of paranormal podcasts are out there, we are ranked twenty
2: four. Woo! Top five percent.
0: It is top five percent of global listeners.
2: We are Amazing. Yes, we want to thank you. We're, we're patting our own backs. Just kidding.
0: <laughs> no, we try. I mean, we bring we
2: fresh content fresh every content, week and
0: bust our butts trying to get you to, get you some good shows, which we have a great show today. But anything happening around the house, Jen?
2: Yes. So last night, and we're recording this. It was a Wednesday night. Okay, so I didn't go to the bar. Normally, I go to the bar on Wednesday just for some socialization. So I was down in the basement, and I've had, you know, a couple weird things happen in the basement. But last night, I was leaving the main room, so, like, I have, like, a couple different rooms in the basement. I'm going into the room where it has my furnace, and I have a bunch of, like, clothing racks and my clothes shoot. And if you turn right, you go into this little bedroom office, which is just full of clothes right now. <laughs> the shoe room. <laughs> Ugh. It's the sale closet. Yeah. But, anyways, and I looked and there was this. I looked to my left and about halfway through the room, out of the corner of my eye, and as I turned, there was like this swirly, misty thing. And I didn't have the air conditioning on
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it wasn't dust because it was more about 12 to 15 inches long yeah. and it was just kind of like twisting swirling. and swirling hmm. and i looked and i looked away because i was like oh shoot I, I can't deal with this right now <laughs> it had so much going on
0: it's the ghost of clothing sales past
2: maybe and then i went upstairs and i was just putzing around getting ready for bed and i got in the bedroom and i was sitting in the bed so I have it where my bed faces the, um doesn't face the door. So, like, if you're laying in bed and you would roll to your, on my right side, I'd be able to see out mm-hmm. my door. And I just, I swear I said something like, just shoot across from, like, the bathroom or the back room. I couldn't tell which way down the hall. And my hall's not even, what, four foot yeah. long. And then I had the freakiest feeling. Like, I just, you know that every... If you guys are ghost hunters, maybe not so much our Bigfoot people and alien people, but ghost hunters know that feeling where you just feel like something's either watching you or there's a spirit present. It was just that uncomfortable feeling. So I had to turn the light on and eat some Doritos because I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is scaring me. I don't know why I was scared, but um, yeah, it was weird. And then, I made the mistake of watching the new ghost adventures oh. episode. And then I got even more scared. <laughs> <sighs> and then I look over and it's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh I have to my go to bed. Yeah. I have to go to bed. I have to get up and go to work, which I don't want to go to work. Yeah. Ever. I want to be independently,
0: independently wealthy. Yes.
2: So but we anyways. got a,
0: <laughs> we got a great interview today. Uh, we interviewed a gentleman named Alan, but before we get into that, Wherever you're listening to this, please hit that subscribe button and give us a a positive five-star rating review. Please Please give us a five-star rating and leave us a positive comment. It really helps. And also, after you listen to the show, I want you to cruise over to our Etsy store. I'll leave the link in the description. But if not, just search 222 on Etsy and we will pop up.
2: Yeah, we have some great merchandise you guys can represent wherever your city you're in. Represent the 222 Paranormal Podcast. Woo!
0: And if I see you (laughs) anywhere out and about in one of our t-shirts, I'll say hi to you. (laughs) And he'll give you a hug
2: (laughs) and a sticker. Yeah, I'll give you a
0: sticker. And maybe a snack. And remind me to get a photo. Because we never get photos.
2: I know. Well, you know, I don't like my picture taken. (laughs) But anyways, no. Seriously, guys great way to support the show we love bringing you the show but can't do it without you yes anyways we have a really really awesome interview uh today guys this really what what did you think joe like, i liked it yeah I, I was
0: just so intrigued and it's a long show this is a mega show it's a mega show mega show like an hour and 20 minutes but it's worth it it's a great listen
2: Yeah, so we talked to um, paranormal investigator Alan Cornielson. He is an author, and he wrote a couple books. And we'll get into it in the interview, but he talks about his experience in the paranormal. He, you know, has been doing it for 30-plus years, so he has a lot of background. And he wrote a couple books regarding this place called The Stagecoach. And now, guys, this place is extremely, extremely haunted. Um, He details a lot in his book we do cover some of it in the interview. Um I'm excited. I'm going to order the book off of Amazon cuz I really really want to read it. It sounds really spooky. I mean, it, this is dark and, and and it's a personal first-hand account. You yeah, know, it's is. not like he just researched it and wrote a book about it. This is his his life. I mean, mm-hmm. like it, he lived it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um stay tuned. It's going to be a really great interview. And welcome to the show, to the 222 Paranormal Podcast, author, grandfather, and paranormal investigator, Alan Cornelison. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey. Good to have you.
2: Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, Alan has very interesting account, life, How would I say this, Joe? Um, experience
0: experience is a big thing. yeah, he reallys dug deep into the paranormal and
3: he's well, worked. you know it's I think everybody has to an extent mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, it you've got to understand what you're doing a little bit before you go out there to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest danger in paranormal is not understanding the consequences that can be in the journey that you are pursuing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand those consequences, it can ruin a lot of things. Definitely. In your life, mm-hmm. marriage, friendships. Uh, just, I mean, circles basically collapse around you. So you just have to be real careful about what you do and how you conduct yourself.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, take us back a little bit to the beginning, Alan. What <laughs> sparked your journey?
3: Well, you know, and I, I, I think I... Talk about it a little bit. You'll see it in the bio. Um, I grew up on. I was a farm kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I wasn't. How do you put this? If you were scared of the dark, mm-hmm. my grandmother, she would say, "Close your eyes. <laughs> what do you see? Nothing." That's right, because same thing is in the lights in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so we were very matter factly raised. No such thing as ghosts, nothing with bump in the night, and so on. And that's how I lived my life. And one day, uh, 1982 ish, um, my daughter and I, we lost, uh, well, we lost my my daughter's mother
2: in a fire. Sorry to
3: hear that. And she she succumbed to smoke inhalation. Um, uh, My daughter was able to get out fine, Uh, everything was good. We lost everything. Um, We were put up in a mobile home by the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. Everything we owned was was donated, and I'm talking pots and pans and TVs. You name it. You know, the little black and white twelve-inch TV with the with the antennas on it. You know, I mean, that was it. Mm -hmm. And one night, I'm watching. I'm a date myself. WWF wrestling with Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah.
2: Big and, Boss Man, yeah. Jimmy yeah. Superfly Snooka. Yeah,
3: all the, yeah. The all originals. Hacksaw, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, all them guys, oh. you know. Yes. And, and I'm sitting here watching it, and I just put her to bed like 20 minutes earlier, and I can hear her talking, and I, I just had to let it go. You know, I don't want to be that creep father that's <laughs> hard on a kid, you know. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a single parent now, you know. I am yeah. I don't want to be that guy. And so I just kind of let her do her thing, and she was three, for crying out loud. You know what I mean? She's going to be doing stuff. So it went on for another 10 or 15 minutes. I thought, you know, she's got to go to sleep. And I kind of walked quietly back to this bedroom. It was a little narrow hallway. It couldn't have been more than three and a half foot wide. And her bedroom was about the size of a large closet. It wasn't, it wasn't a big place by those stretches. And here she is sitting on her little bed and her feet are dangling over the edge. And I fully expected to see her, you know, playing with one of her, my little ponies, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the day. And she was just staring at the closet. And I said, honey, it's time to lay down have go to sleep. And I turned around and I was going to leave. And I probably took two steps and I turned back around and I looked back in there. I said, she's still sitting there. And I said, honey, I said, Who are you talking to? And she looks at me with the most matter-of-fact look Mm -hmm. and has her little fingers pointing out, little chubby fingers pointing straight at the the closet and just said, Mommy. Oh,
2: I got goosebumps.
3: (laughs) And then she just laid down and went to sleep. And I got to tell you, I I had this lump in my throat, Mm -hmm. and I was so angry, and uh, 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 just a a wash of emotions Mm -hmm. just stormed over me. And I could not, for the life of me, see what she was seeing as, as desperately as I wanted to.. Yeah. And so that kind of started it. Um, I went to the library and I was trying to figure out what it was that she was seeing. I always heard, heard about you know ghosts. We all heard about ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out, you know what you know what this this thing called, you know, supernatural was all about. And I started stumbling on these articles by the Warrens. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was back early on, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of information out there. And the next thing you know, what happened was it was like domino effect. Uh, one person would find out somebody else. Hey, Alan, he he like is studying ghosts, and we maybe he'll you know come to your house to see what's going bump in the night. Wow. And for me, it was a little selfish because I wasn't wanting to go to these places to find out what's going on with people and their problem and situations i wanted to find her okay Teresa. i just mm-hmm. i wanted to find her i wanted yeah. to see what my daughter's seen. Mm-hmm. and over that time i started noticing that you know i was in construction i understood buildings and how they operated i understood you know Plumbing, I understood all you know all the fabrics of of the of a house, mm-hmm. and I could debunk things. And I found out that all of a sudden that I was actually helping people. Not only were I was I figuring out that it wasn't a ghost or maybe it was, but I was relieving them of their difficulties. And the next thing you know, my my own selfishness of of wanting to find what I thought was so important to me suddenly took a back seat.
2: Wow. Now, how long was it from the time that um, Teresa passed until she started talking to her? About 3 process? months. Wow.
3: It was about okay. it was about 3 months. Okay. Um it, it I mean it didn't like just happen overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was over a period of time and th- which was, you know, really odd because by then, you know, I don't, I don't know if, 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 if she understood the concept of death or not. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and and of course, later down, years and years later down the road, I, I posed a question to her. You remember that night, you know? And she no,
1: mm-hmm. I, I don't,
3: I don't remember that.
1: Yeah.
3: So, but it, it's just stung in my memory. Mm-hmm. It's just deeply imprinted that that moment in time just stood still for me, and uh, and it's been. I've just been captivated by it ever since. Um, not so much do I look for her anymore. I just do this thing called the paranormal to try to figure it out like we all do. Yeah. And we all just try to develop theories and try to build from there. And the important thing is is we got to work with each other, which that doesn't go on so much anymore. Back in the day when I did this, you know, we'd you'd meet up with somebody that was interested in the same thing you was. And you and you'd meet like in the library or go down to your basement or whatever, and it was all hush hush, really quiet <laughs> and talk about it. And, and, and you know, you were you, all, you know, under kind of under wraps. You didn't want nobody to know you were a ghost. My God, you don't
1: do that. Right.
3: You know, because you're one it, of those people. Say, hey, man, what you do, you know, what, what's your hobby? Go like uh, ghost. Immediately you grow a second head.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
3: And then, you know,
0: that shows too by when we always used to go to the library, the paranormal books are always down in the down in the left corner yeah you know
3: yeah and, and they were and they were sporadic they were yeah. everywhere. they weren't like in one particular spot and you you know you had to remember those little cue cards those little, yes. little index cards
1: oh and yes you, you,
3: you know you'd pull the index cards out and you'd look for haunting you look for paranormal you would look for ghosts and they'd be all over the library yeah mm-hmm. so here you are you know you're you know trying to check books out and talking to the librarian, you know, you, say, you try to be as quiet as you can anyway, you know, you're in a library <laughs> and you're saying, I want to know something about, you know, paranormal phenomenon. Yeah. They kind of give you the steely stare like you're a weirdo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where's the you book know? on Bigfoot?
3: And yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. What? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Blackness <laughs> monster. Yeah. All of, oh yeah. All of the above.
2: Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, a lot of people, and you know, my age, my brother's age, were of that generation where we did go to the library, for one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of, and then it became, oh, sure. like, Unsolved Mysteries and, yep. and those type of shows that really.
3: Fanned you, the flame. Right, yeah. exactly. It did. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it really made our, our, our interest in what we were doing even more compelling. You know, can mm-hmm. I be that guy that figures it out? And and, you know, you weren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just a journey. It mm-hmm. was the idea yeah. of this journey to, to I mean to fulfill something, maybe lost in yourself. Like, for us with me, you know, my my journey was to fulfill something that I didn't get chance an opportunity to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did this for a long time, many years, and it was it wasn't a constant thing. You know, I, I'd dump it for a couple, three months. I wouldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I'd link back into it again. It would just, again, kind of like seeing a show on TV. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you know I kind of did that once. I'm going to try to do that again, mm-hmm. type thing. And then you start learning about EVPs and you start doing all these, you know, learning all these techniques as, as they begin to emerge, you know. And I think, I honestly, I, I'm going to take full credit that I think I came up with the very first EMF detector.
0: Oh
1: yeah!
2: Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> oh, being in the building trades, right? The, you had access yeah, the, to those sort of things. The
3: story. The story goes like this: I, my my daughter had got a present from somebody or some kind of a package, and in that package were all these little plastic styrofoam uh, uh, peanuts, mm-hmm. and those things will cling all over your body. You were trying <laughs> to get—they you know, just do. Yeah. You know, they get—they get static charge to them. And I remember reading something about how these these entities were like made of energy, like a static DC energy, mm-hmm. you know? And I thought, I wonder if I can use these peanuts to detect ghosts. So two months later, something like that, I, I get invited to this, this gentleman's house and he swore that there was somebody walking down a hallway. Mm-hmm. He, he would see out of the corner of his eye, something dashing into this hallway and then and then moving down and, and disappearing into this hall. And I thought, this is a great opportunity. So I had these little peanuts in a in a large at that time the sandwich bag, you know, the kind that folded over. It wasn't a ziploc one. <laughs> 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 the old ones, you know. Right. And I and I I had a bunch of them and I laid them out like rows of corn down this hallway. And every twenty or thirty minutes, I just kind of step into the hallway and I take a picture with my Polaroid camera. <laughs> <laughs> using my daughter's Fisher-Price uh, tape recorder and uh, doing some EVP stuff. And at one point, all of those little peanuts were just in disarray.
1: Wow!
3: They were all over the place. And there was no cats there. There was no windows in there. There was no vents anywhere. Um, I, I thought, wow, you know, something of energy passed down this hallway mm-hmm. and caused these peanuts to move. You know, because it, I mean, it it just made sense, and so I I credit myself to the per, first EMF detector.
2: <laughs> I love that. That is so interesting, though. <laughs> like, that's kind of on the forefront, though, with you know these different methods people come up with. It, you know, yeah, you know, the and basics, I think si- right? And
3: simple is simple is best. That is, yes. you know, yes.
0: we say that. There's all the time. There's
3: nothing wrong with with all this other, you know, the the SLS cameras and stuff like that, but it's all generated in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the stuff like using a compass, for instance.
1: Mm.
3: You know, you can't really manipulate a compass other than with another magnet. And if somebody used it, you can obviously see somebody with a magnet, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. EMF, you know, I don't know if you knew it or not, but if you wave a K2 around in a room, wave it around in front of you, EM constantly flows to our environment all the time. And it's passing through us all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at some point when you wave around that that, that K2 meter, it's going to get a hit. And that's that's probably a man-made signal that's coming through the air.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And a, a millimeter, if you shake it real hard, it throws that little diode in there in, into into a fit. And oh. it'll re- register a 7.8 huh. or whatever the case might be. So all those things can be manipulated. And I try to stay away from those and try to stay old school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've used fans. I still use fans to this day to create white noise. Mm. Um, Just a real subtle, you know, fan and then, you know, a a tape recorder. I do use a digital tape recorder. I try not to use the directional kind that picks up an entire, you know, room area. Mm -hmm. One that more or less just kind of just shoots out directly in front of it. What it hears is what it hears. Uh, because there's so much ambient noise that these digital cores can pick up. They can pick up, you know, if you're working in, in a in an outside environment, it'll pick a cow up from you know, four oh, counties. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you, know?
0: you know, one of the things that we've always said, you know, go back to the basics, and we use the dowsing rods on all our investigations. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, um, I, I've used dowsing rods, but there again, of course, this is this is this is where it's, it's healthy, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, healthy good conversation. Any, I don't like to have anything that I am physically attached to. Okay. You know, I, I mm-hmm. don't, I want to be completely separated from whatever device that I'm using. Yeah. Because I don't want that to play into what could possibly be a paranormal event. I want to say, hey, my hands are off of this thing and it's doing whatever it's doing, like a compass or a spin around or something, you know. I mean, that to me is like, Wow, that's some validation going on there. Mm-hmm. But if my body's attached to it in some way, some, there's, there's those trolls that are out there, man. Oh yeah, and oh. they're gonna say, "No, you know what? Uh, you 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 might not notice it. You might not realize it. But you are moving. Yeah, you are physically. You know, you, you, you might think in your own mind that's doing its own thing, but in all actuality, you know, it, 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 you're you're making it happen. Yeah, and and you can't disregard that." Yeah, it's sort of so, like the
0: uh, Ouija board with the automatic or the automatic yeah,
3: right. Motor I work Now with it, with a with a gentleman, um, uh, uh, Robert uh, Balzac, who owns Ghost Gear, um, we do a lot of investigations together, and uh, he's come up with some really cool devices. One's called the Epic Box. Okay, um, it uh, does just strictly yes no. Uh, and it's remarkable in how this thing works. He's, he's an electronic engineer, and he come up with this and, and he really doesn't know how it works. He also comes up, he has a, a really neat device. it's 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 called uh, the ultrasonic motion sensor. and it looks like a bat. I mean it actually it sends a signal out, mm-hmm. and if there's something in front of it, it'll alarm. And it'll tell you how far away it was. It's kind. It works on the same principles as, say, a Roomba vacuum cleaner. Okay. Where if something's in front of it, it'll turn and steer away from it. But this thing sits stationary. And if there's like reports of something that moves around in a hallway or up and down a hallway, I set this thing up in there on a tripod, and it'll start showing me readings of how far it is. And just, I know we want to talk about the books here in a minute, but yeah. just an example. I was at uh, the. The old YMCA building in Rock Island, Illinois, and I was getting all kinds of readings with his device. And I was with another investigator, uh, Rebecca Foster, Doctor Rebecca Foster, and she set up an L- SLS camera, and it was reading the same thing this device was, oh, which wow. was amazing. So, that's the kind of devices I like. So stuff yeah. that's hands free, that's real simple, that's it's that's, that's true technology that works in our everyday way of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, too many people are like relying on the phone apps now and stuff and it's like they're built to work right they're built to work they're right. built to you know pick up ghosts so that they sell more of them
3: right absolutely <laughs> otherwise you know it, you you gotta you gotta have that that piece of equipment that always works yeah because if you don't your are you little documentary is boring
1: mm-hmm. you
3: know you've got to have that one person in your group that falls on the floor yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know you know that's I don't have a group I, it's just me mm-hmm. you know I tried that and I talked about it in my book in too deep um, you know I did this for a long time until and I thought I really did I thought I had a handle on the paranormal I did I thought there's nothing to this um, nine times out of ten there's an explanation to it I could count on one hand in the first 20 years that I did this or so mm-hmm. that I actually had to step away from my house and say, I don't know what's going on in there, oh, wow. but it's, it's not of this world. You know, it's, it's something very, very dark going on. Mm-hmm. And of course, then there was times that I just said, you know, I can't explain it. You know, I've never really called anything haunted. Uh, I just said, I can't explain it. you got something very, very compelling going on here, whether it's a ghost, I don't know, but it's it's on, it's it's obviously paranormal. Paranormal is something that can't be weighed or measured. Mm-hmm. So, but when I got to the stagecoach inn and I seen this place, I was like, and I I discuss about it in the book. You know, I'm I'm on this little tour of town of, of Ida Grove. My, my nephew, um, I, I moved up to Ida Grove to take care of my mother's wife, and we sold everything in in Des Moines, Iowa, where we were from, mm-hmm. to move up there, and we thought. You know, we had no place to keep it, so we sold it. We thought we'd be there for maybe six months, and and she pass on, and we'd move mm. back and rebuild, and that'd be that'd be the end of it. A year went by, and I'm still there. <laughs> oh my god! And one day, Andy, uh, who who lost his life to Lou Gehrig's disease here recently, oh. but uh, he took me on a a, a tour of Ida Grove He said, yeah, "Man, you've been here for a while. I'm going to kind of show you around. You're a big time deer hunter. I know you are." I'm going to take you over to Moorhead Park. That's where everybody goes to go deer hunting. And I go, okay, cool. So get in this truck, drive over there. And I literally, I talk about it in the book the same way as I seen this house in the woods. And I said to Andy, I said, does somebody live here? And he goes, oh, no. He says, that's the old uh, Stagecoach Inn, the old Moorhead House Museum. And literally, like an old barn owl. I mean, as we're driving by, my head turned around backwards. I'm just (laughs) fixated on this place. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God, you know, how long has it been here, Andy? And he says, oh, I don't know, 200 years, <laughs> you know, and I thought bing, he was bing, just kidding. Bing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought, oh, you're joking me. So we, we get back to the house, you know, hey, I'll see you later. And then he starts backing out and they go, hey, hey, Andy, wait a minute. Who do I contact? Maybe get a tour of that historical place. And he says, Steve Wilkins. He says, uh, he's the guy. He's, he's the president of the Historical Society. He'd be more than happy to give you a tour. Here's his phone number. And, of course, I'd been in Ida Grove for now a year. I knew Steve Wilkins, but I didn't know he was a member of the Historical ah, Society because okay. I was now – I was part of uh, uh, the foreign, the American Legion because I was a veteran. Okay. And he was in the American Legion with me, but he never okay. made, mentioned that he was part of the Historical Society. So I called him up. I said, hey, Steve. I says said, Alan, can you give me a tour through the old stagecoach inn? And he says, well, yeah, certainly. So he takes me over there. And I walk in this place, and you could just feel it. It was just every follicle on my body just stood up. I don't know if it was excitement or it was the energy in the air. But when he said this place was built in 1856, my heart just jumped a beat. Wow. It was like, are you kidding me? And then he says, Oh, by the way, see so that you know oak tree over there. 30 foot away from the front door i, I said yeah what about it? he says that's a, a Sioux native american burial tree huh. wow and i'm going what he says <laughs> yeah he says in fact uh, martha moorhead and her daughter anna used to have little picnics out there and they found beads laying all over the ground and it was from the the corpses that would rot in the limbs and of course all the beads would fall on the ground and Martha would pick these things up and make moccasins for the kids out of all these beads. So, wait, and I'm thinking, oh my god, you know, this, oh here's a layer, you know. Wait,
2: wait, <laughs> explain this to me because this is the first I hear of it. So, it's a burial tree. Are they yes putting the, the bodies used, in the, the tree? Yes, yes.
3: yes the Sioux used scaffolds. They would use scaffolding to bury their dead. I think the Crow did the same thing um but they would use scaffolding they didn't bury them underground they figured they uh-huh. would put them in the branches of the trees and as their bodies would decompose it would fall to the soil and the trees would use that to be as a guide wow. or something to the next spiritual the next spiritual realm you know um going back to nature that way mm-hmm. but it, there's a long story behind it but anyway but yeah there were several of these trees that were on this property and so I'm going, oh, okay, that's interesting. And he goes, and then he goes, oh, by the way, so you see that dress that's in that cabinet and the shoe and the coins and all that? And I go, yeah, that's all cool stuff. He said, well, yeah, that was all on the walls. <gasps> Bing. You know, wow. again, my head just goes <laughs> oh someplace goodness. else because now I'm thinking, you know, okay, shoes were put in walls back in the early mid-1800s in that era. As a, a symbolic gesture to keep out evil.
2: Correct. Yep.
3: And so we got a burial tree outside. We've got shoes and walls. What did the Moorheads know? <laughs> we're just getting right. started to know. And, you know, and the coins were used as an offering. You know, that, I mean, mm-hmm. there was just one layer after another beginning to develop. Of this place
2: for for it, our listeners can you just physically describe the building like was it sure one layer, um, two stories
3: it's it's a it's a one level it mm-hmm. has it does have a small basement to it a kind of a okay. dugout type basement mm-hmm. uh i wouldn't recommend anybody really going down there i've been down there a couple times but mm-hmm. it's just it's nothing special okay. about it at all but it um Two floor, two stories, two floors. Okay. It looks kind of like a, a ranch, an L-shaped ranch. Okay. It has a, a porch on one side. Um, the bottom floor served as a post office. It served as what they call a drover's room at the same time. Uh, it also served as a kitchen, hospital. Uh, let me see, a courthouse, a community center, a school. And let me see. Oh, and of course, an inn. Hmm. And that whole, it was just like, it was like a, a mod, it was like a convenience store of the 1800s. Yeah, Okay. Um, and what happened was when the Moorhead moved to Ida Grove, it was John by himself at first. And he found this, this, this piece of land, this, this grove of trees in way north, kind of north, uh, West corner of Iowa, mm-hmm. no, I, Ida County. What he, he, Ida County wasn't even a county yet. In fact, Iowa hadn't even become a state really yet when wow. he was there. Oh my god! And uh, he finds this trek of land, and he they built a cabin on it. Him and his, I think like he had five kids. Um, one of was Giles, who ended up being a doctor um, and taking care of his father later in life. But uh, they built this cabin, and one day here comes the stagecoach. And it pulls up in front of their cabin and the driver gets down, goes to John Moorhead and says, hey, he says, you mind if I water my horses here and let my riders get out, and kind of stretch their legs a little bit? And Johnson, you know, being who he was, he said, well, yeah, sure. You know, and they all of a sudden they seen something very lucrative that might come out of that. And so they said, hey, if any other you know stage lines come through here, mention to them they can stop and they can, you know, we'll feed them and, you know, for, for you know whatever cost mm-hmm. it would be. I don't know how they used to, you know, a nickel or whatever. And and we'll take care of, you know, your horses overnight, you know, make sure that you're safe because that whole area was crawling with Sioux Indians. Mm-hmm. And so people would, they started stopping there and Martha and John would accommodate them. They would take all the furniture and set it outside and let these people come inside. And they also bring in the livestock, the chickens and the pigs. <laughs> that they had a cow had come in too because of the Sioux in the area.
1: Huh? You know, I mean, uh-huh. they
3: would steal the livestock. So, in all honesty, there were times that you might actually lay down with the sow.
1: <laughs> so
3: <laughs> uh, it just just the way it was. Um, and then they began to build on. They they built a, a mill down by the Maple River, and they started taking the, the lumber or the logs in the old cabin and began to cut those down into planks. And they started building the stagecoach in as we see it today. Okay. Um, which is, it, it finally went kind of to hell in, oh, must have been about 1940s or so. Um, the last person lived in there. Um, and then it just kind of, the environment just started, started eating it up. And sometime in about 1972, 74, uh, the park finally, you know, the, the Moorheads donated all that land to the county, and they turned it into a park. And some of the, the I don't know, park officials or, or whoever, went to the historical society and said, "Look, if you want to keep this house, you got two things. You got two choices: either tear it down, or rebuild it." And they chose to rebuild it. And that's when Doc Kenny, who is uh, uh, the veterinarian but also a historian, in the area he was adamant that he, he was going to rebuild it and what he did he was going to make sure you had nothing but you know, square nails and wooden pegs
0: just like the original they went
3: all over the county to find lumber mm-hmm. from the era that the stagecoach in was from oh, so crazy. now it's actually on the national historical record uh, or historical buildings because everything about the place is true 1800s and every stick of furniture in that place is donated and it's all from the era of the 1800s to about 1928. Imagine all of the attachments and things mm-hmm. that could be involved with any number of those items in, in that building. Sure. I mean, the beds, we all know about beds. Come mm-hmm. on, beds have happiness, sickness, illness, you know, other things. Mm-hmm. You know, er- all, everything's involved with these beds. You know, we got spinning wheels. I, I actually caught a spinning wheel turning there. <gasps> that caught it on video i'm I, i'm trying to debunk the staircase and why it was always setting a motion center off and i have to pan over into a room and here's a spinning wheel and it just just starts spinning <laughs> and i caught it on video I, I i said i can't believe this and i was just consumed with it mm-hmm. um i was started investigating it um i, I well more of that story I went to the Historical society one of their their meetings after I did this tour, and uh, I told them who I was. I told them I was a paranormal researcher. I didn't want to say I was an investigator. I was yeah. a researcher. Okay. And to get to try to get me access to doing a couple investigations in there. So I don't know if there's a taunted, you know. I don't know if there's you know the old moorheads are still there or not. But I'd like to research this place, and it was a show of hands of whether or not they would let me. So I'm patiently kind of or impatiently actually kind of waiting standing there at the corner of this table. and when suddenly her, her name was Connolly, she was one of the older uh, the generation of, of historical society members. She was probably in her late 80s at the time. She says she stood up, she says, "Why in the world would we want somebody to go back out there and, and just conjure things up all over again?" <laughs> You know how hard it, <laughs> I had to bite in my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> Conjure things up? What are we talking about here? What am I getting myself into? Yeah, and, and she it, said again, again, yeah. yeah, again, yes. And I, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to address the question. I knew I was already on thin ice. You know, I just kind of let that just kind of just float around the room a little <laughs> bit. You know, and then you kind of just let it drift off into space. So. A moment later, hands were, you know, yays, nays, yays, one. They said, you got three days to do whatever it is you're going to do out there. I said, perfect, great. So I'm getting ready to leave and I'm packing up all my stuff, which involved just a manila envelope with my little spiel in it. And uh, a gentleman kept walking up to me and his name was Elmer. And he says, I am so glad you're going to go out there and do this. I go, really? Why? So he tells me this story. He tells me this very, very compelling story, which I'll I'll tell you later. What you know, because it actually another person collaborates this story. But he tells me this story, and I just I'm just I'm amped. I go, oh my gosh, you know, I I got to get out there. So it was a following weekend, I believe, and I I get all I had was a, a black it was just a security camera mm-hmm. that I had connected to a, a, a VCR.
1: That was wow. it, it was
3: plugged into a VCR. I slid the tape in hit play. I had eight hours <laughs> wow. and, and this thing has audio on it, you know? And so I'm in after the, it was a third night. I'm in there. Nothing had gone on. It was just, the sound was deafening inside this building at night. And I'm standing there and I'm, I'm in this room. It's completely dark. The only compadre i guess you could say i had what i called him it was was my tripod with this with this one eye on it across the room that i could barely see in the dark so it kind of calmed me down because it was a creepy place i mean I'm in, I'm in the middle of the woods mm-hmm. you know and by myself i didn't know what was going to happen and so i'm standing there and i turn my flashlight on and i shined it on top of this glass case that had a silver War flag in it and on top of that case was a ghost beater just just a cheap, you know, $30 ghost meter. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it. The needle was just flat. And I look at the camera and I say, the house is essentially flat. Those are my exact words. And at that very moment, something tugged very hard on the back of my coat. Wow. <laughs> I mean hard. <laughs> oh. I, tur- I turned around. I'm shining the flashlight around. I'm thinking that maybe I bumped into something. You know, inadvertently just, you know, because it's dark in there. And I'm shining it around thinking, what, you know, what did I just snag into? There's nothing there. And so I'm saying, is there somebody in this room with me? Of course, nothing. And so I set the flashlight down. And I'm trying to get my my wits about me. I'm kind of crossing my arms. And I thought, I got to go sit down somewhere. So I made my way from that room, which was the, the community room or the church area, into what is known as the men's room. This is where the men would sleep. There's a, I could go on for hours and tell you about this, this building, mm-hmm. but it's into the men's room. And I sit down in this chair that's kind of in a corner, and the windows are kind of next to me. And the outside was one of those, what I call them, the old farm lights mm-hmm. that was just – there was enough illumination that I could barely make out my environment in that room, You know, just barely see what was going on. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what was that? You know, you know, come on, Alan, you know, get it together, you know, get the shock and all out of your head. Mm-hmm. Think about this. So as I'm doing that in the kitchen area, which is off this, of, of the the men's room where I'm at, I, I can hear plates starting to jingle around. Clink, 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 clink. clink. It's like somebody's making a freaking meal. Mm-hmm. And they're, and it's, and the sounds are moving closer. Mm-hmm. I kid you not, my legs turned to lead. Uh-huh. <laughs> I couldn't get up out of the chair. I wanted to leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I made my way finally through this 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 building and got outside and and I was just overwhelmed. I I, I looked up at it. I was sitting in my old my Durango. I had the hatch up and I sit down kind of on the bumper because it was pulled up right in front of the building. And I and of course what I see, I I imagine it in my mind. I'm looking at this building I'm looking at the, the top window and in my head it just grew <laughs> you know everything wow. just got just just grew oh. it just got and and I thought oh my god I I gotta go back in there and get all my stuff and I didn't want to because oh. this place it actually scared the hell out of me really oh my so gosh. I go in there and as I'm coming through, it all has lights, and every light has a cord on it. You have to pull the cord to turn the light on. So I'm going through the entire place, one light at a time, you know, trying to illuminate the entire building. Mm-hmm. And as most paranormal investigators know, we try to take care of our equipment, right? I'm gathering this stuff by the armfuls and, and taking it out and literally just throwing it in a heap in the back of my Durango, just throwing it in there. And then I had to go, okay, great. Now i got to shut all the lights off in this place. So I'm going through one at a time from the furthest, most furthest back corner of this building to the front. And I'm reaching to the door with one hand, and I'm reaching to the light string with the other, stretching out, trying to grab the string so I could pull the door shut all at the same time. Because I just wanted to get the hell out of there. And I did. I left. Next morning, you know, I'm waking up thinking, you know, okay, I just, that was just all, I, I imagined it. I let my head just run wild. I'm not going to concern myself with it. A couple of days went by and I thought, you know, I'm looking at those tapes now. And I watched the tape. I couldn't really see anything pull on my shirt or my coat, mm-hmm. although it could be there, but, you know, it not really. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wait a minute, I had a digital recorder running at the time. I had a little Olympus digital recorder sitting on a chair. So, I hooked it up to the Audacity on my computer and I'm listening. And I get to the spot where I said, Is there somebody in this room with me? And at that very moment, you could hear a child say, Yeah, uh huh, it was me. Wow. Clear as a bell. Oh, and from that point awesome. on, it that's kind of where it all started tumbling downhill. <laughs> I took it to the Historical Society. They were thrilled. Some of them were, others were not so much. And, uh, I began I, I paid my dues a hundred dollars, become a lifetime member of the historical society just so I could investigate. And I investigated there almost daily for the next seven years.
2: Did hmm. you feel like it, it called you like you were almost it, like that building
3: did. wanted yes. you there? Yes, it did. It just did it here recently. In the past, oh. um, it, you know, it, since I've left that place, I refer to it as that place. Okay. Um, in fact, when I I used to be called Wanaji Paranormal. That was that was the name that I used for Facebook. And you had to have a name, mm-hmm. so it was Wanaji Paranormal. Wanaji is a Native American word that means spirit or ghost. Okay. And when I came back and, and came back to Ankeny, I wanted to just strip away every layer of that place that there was, I just wanted to get rid of it. And so I changed my name to Dark River because Dark River, it's, it's, that's what the paranormal is. It's a very dark river, it winds, it turns, it's wide, it's narrow, it's deep, it's, 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 it's shallow, mm-hmm. it's everywhere and it's very dark. And once you go into that river, you're in for keeps. Mm-hmm. Once you're wet, you don't get just a little bit wet in the paranormal. You get very wet. You know, it's just the way it is. And so I, I got try to get rid of all of that. And one day we're doing kind of like I'm doing right now. I'm on Facebook. I'm just talking about the stagecoach in when this gentleman by the name of Daniel Class comes on. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, man, he says, you know what? You need to write a book about this place. And, uh, so later on we did like a personal message back and forth and he said this is the guy's name his name's eric he wants to talk to you Mm -hmm. and uh i I said man i don't know anything about writing books i've never done it in my life you know he said don't don't write. he's a ghost writer He'll, he'll just listen to your story and he will write the book i said well perfect that's that sounds great you know we'll do that so this guy had me on priority call supposedly and I called Eric up, and he knew exactly who I was. And I started telling him the story, kind of like I'm telling it to you right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And he says, Alan, stop. I can't write this story. And my heart just sunk. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, this. It, I knew it. It just blows. The story just blows. That's all there is to it. He says, no, 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 no. He says, I cannot write it with the enthusiasm that you're telling it to me. He said, I need 56,000
1: words.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I came up with first Ghosts and Legends at the Stagecoach Inn. (laughs) And I got that. I did did pretty well, actually. And then I found out that he that my publisher, um, Eric, was basically stealing from me. He wasn't paying me like he was supposed to. And I also found out that he was the minister. Get this. He was the minister of the Church of Satan. Oh, <gasps> you can't make this stuff up. Oh my God. <laughs> so now now I'm thinking, OK, so not only did I investigate hell, but my publisher, Disciple <laughs> of Satan. So oh my that's when I reached out to another group in, in California and we called it in too deep. And okay. I was I was in way too deep. I was in over my head mm-hmm. and I talk about it a lot in the book. Yeah. Um, Coyote Chris Sutton, God bless his soul. Um, he passed away here a few years ago. He was a shaman. Okay. Um, he was seen on like the Dead Files and some of the other shows. I knew him very well. In fact, he did a lot of counsel with me, mm-hmm. you know, with, in my pursuit in paranormal. And uh, I asked him, I said, can you do me a favor and, and can you, you know, uh, write a review on it? He says, Alan, you know, it's really hard for me to do that for people. He says a lot of people ask me to do it. You know, his mother was a, a college literature teacher, mm. you know, and so she was very intelligent and so was, he was well, very well, well written himself. And he says, You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'd rather not. He says, But just send me, just send me what you got and I'll read it. And he comes back to me about two weeks later and he says, Alan, he says, I'm going to write this. He says, You're the first person I've ever, you know, read or anything that said, Oh, I was in a dark, scary place and I, you know, something jumped out of me. Boo. You know, he says, You actually put your heart on your sleeve. He says, In this book, he says, I would recommend whether you've been in the paranormal for four days or 40 years that this is a must-read.
2: Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, that process of writing is, it's like its like birthing a child, right? That book is your child, and you yeah, grow it, it and you develop it, and then you put it out in the world, and people judge it.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and nobody has. It's, it's had nothing but positive reviews. That's great. Um, I, I wrote the book in little over three weeks.
2: Oh, my oh, gosh, wow. that's great. Uh,
3: well, I would literally... Get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I would write until I had to go to work. Okay. I'd go to work. I'd come home and I'd write again. I'd eat a little bit of dinner. I'd write again. I'd go to bed, get up next morning, repeat. I did that mm-hmm. for three months, and we had it out by October.
2: That's incredible.
3: And but it was all so vivid in my mind. Every yeah. everything about the place. Mm-hmm. I when I tried it, when I wrote the book, I wrote it in you know the old cliche you know walt disney and living color Mm -hmm. um everything about what you read uh as coyote chris sutton states you just feel like you're on that investigation with me every part of it it's not all just about the investigation Mm -hmm. it's about everything involved with the investigation it's about me almost beating the hell out of out of a minister oh my god you know uh there was, like I told you earlier about the gentleman, uh, Elmer, who came to me. Yeah. One day I was at the at the end getting ready to do an investigation in Rhett. I for the life of me, I can't remember his last name, but he was a park officer there at, at the park. He said, Hey, Alan, what, what you up to today? I said, I'm, like, I'm going to investigate. He said, Oh, cool. He said, How do I ever tell you that story about Elmer? And I go, No. What story is that? Well, take in mind now, the story is what. Elmer told me two years earlier. <laughs> he mm-hmm. says, You you know what a hog leg is, right? And I go, Yeah, it's a gun. He says, Yeah, exactly. He says, you know, one day I'm driving to do my route, you know, doing my rounds, and I see Elmer, and he's walking around the outside of the ant and he's got this big hog leg on his side. So he says, I just kinda rolled into the parking lot there and in, in this gravel driveway and kinda just struck up a conversation with him and, and said, You know, Elmer, I gotta remind you that, you know, we just don't allow guns in the park and elmer says to me, he says yeah i know this is and i gotta tell you the story he says you know here it's been a while back he says i was in here rearranging and bringing in some new items into the inn and i just got in putting some stuff on the table and he says i could literally feel the, the granulars coming down and hit me on top of the head as something was walking around upstairs the, the crumbs were you know the dust mm-hmm. and particles yeah. and crap was falling off the, the the wooden floor above and he says i got mad he says i stormed up them steps and i could, I just knew a kid had broke in here and they was stealing stuff he said there was nobody there nobody around anywhere and he says i will be damned if i ever go into that place alone without a gun again
2: wow what's a gun gonna do against the spirit that's exactly yeah. that's <laughs> my thoughts
3: <laughs> exactly my thoughts besides yeah.
0: put more holes in the wall
3: right <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah and, and it's it's a treasured place yeah you know everything about it is just it's wonderful in, in its own self you know it's it's a museum it, it takes you back to another time mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of evil that went on there um uh, when it when it was in disarray, when it was in collapse before the historical society actually went in there to fix it back up. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, take in mind, this is back in the early 70s, back when the exorcist, remember the exorcist when it came out? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Pe- and people were beginning to think they were possessed and all, mm-hmm. all them kind of things going on. Well, supposedly, well, not supposedly, it happened. Um, there was a group of individuals that went out there and were doing pentagrams on the floor and they were sacrificing cats and dogs. and oh, and. No doing you know conjuring up all kinds of things again (laughs) and uh you ever heard of people called the odd fellows
1: yes oh yeah Mm -hmm.
3: there was a gentleman by the name of john moore who uh lived in the house as a farmer after the moorheads had moved on and you know we're now we're getting into the 19th century you know we got Mm -hmm. the train we got the railroad coming through now stage coaches were no longer needed and the moorheads were now older and they weren't you know Doing what they used to do, it was now it was just a dwelling. And finally, John he passed away in the house. But anyway, long story short, there uh, this gentleman by the name of John Moore, who was a farmer, rented it. He rented the place, and he has some cattle and some stuff and some hogs and sheep and chickens and such. But he belonged to the Oddfellows, and they being this this building, this house was clear out on what would be the edge of town. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the dark edge of town. That's where they would have these meetings you know, had this, the crazy mass on their faces and the secret handshakes and all this. Well, John Moore was alleged to be indicted on some unknown charges. And I talk about it in the second book, In Conflict. Um, it was a rumor, and I, I, I finally talk about the rumor in the second book, that uh, a child was, was drowned in the well on the property oh, my there at, at, at the house. And it was thought that maybe John Moore was involved with that. Well, they found John Moore one day hanging in a tree. He hung himself.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Oh, my goodness.
3: He was in a cedar tree or, uh, or an elm tree. And uh, I wrote the newspaper article, um, talks about it in detail. And if you read the article and it's in the second book, you'll go, what? This doesn't make any sense. You know how does you know he was he was boiling stock for for stewing, and a lady um, would help him early in the morning on this particular day, and she was helping with the canning. And then she left. Well, she came back later in the afternoon, not to find John anywhere, but she said that the pot was rapidly boiling on the stove. Red flag number one.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: it was a wood burning stove. There was no gas out there. And if it had been boiling all day, it would have probably boiled away a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Secondly, logs aren't going to last that long in an old wood-burning stove. So there's the first fact. You know, just I, I just can't swallow that explanation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, they finally found John hanging in this tree. His feet were six foot off the ground, hanging out in the middle of a limb. All right, you ever seen an elm tree? Oh yeah. Straight up. Yeah. You can't you can't hardly climb one. No low limbs, all big, high, all high, high limbs, okay? He took his pony up there to this high ridge, supposedly, and he tied it up. It was about 40 foot away, tied up someplace else, and here's John hanging in this tree. That doesn't make any sense. No. How in the hell did he get up there? Right. All, right. all right, think about this now. Before they discovered, before they discovered his body and walked around his little farm for a little while, they had noticed that. He had taken care of all of his livestock that morning, he made sure they were fed and watered and they were you know, comfortable and everything was all good. But yet he hung himself in a forest, not knowing if anybody was ever going to find his body, leaving his pony to suffer and, and not have any water or anything else. I believe the town folk killed
0: him. Uh. Yeah, because, I mean, with the pot on the stove type thing, like you said, it, those old stoves, the wood would burn away. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly i mean if he in, in more depth and more detail in the, in the book in conflict yeah. but uh, yeah there's a lot of layers and, and, and so i believe that he's actually attached in some dark way mm-hmm. to the inn uh, as and... well as the native american culture as well as all of the residual of, of you know the furniture mm-hmm. and you know the maple river um which just skirts the whole the whole area just, just a lot going on, mm-hmm. a lot going on. And every mistake that a paranormal investigator could possibly make, I made, and you can read about it in too deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, it's a book for dummies, whoever, okay. you know, I mean, I honestly, you know, at, at first, when I first read it or first wrote it, I thought this is going to be a good read. But when I read it, And others brought it to my attention. They said, Alan, this could be like, you know, a guide to not being you. Uh (laughs) And I said, you know what? You're exactly right. It is.
2: What do you think the biggest mistake you made was?
3: The biggest mistake was not respecting what I was doing, not knowing when I had enough,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: going back and going back and going back. And I got to the point where I went back so much that whatever was there was so irritated with me that it started influencing itself in my life. Mm. You know if you can intrude on somebody long enough that they're going to eventually push back and intrude on you and that's what began to happen Mm -hmm. without getting a lot of detail because i want people to read the book yeah uh, my brother-in-law he's a minister and he's a minister out in pennsylvania and every year he would come back to see his mom and on one occasion he was going to come back and he was going to visit And all these things were beginning to happen in the house that I was living in with with her. Footsteps going on and things falling over and getting broke and just weird things going on. And and me having a bout of serious depression and oppression and Mm. illness and just weird stuff. And I knew it was from that place. And I sat down and I said, look, I said, I don't know who you are or what you are, but Mike is coming back. He's a minister. I'm going to explain to him what's going on, and he will have you removed. And I said it as sternly as I could. Mm-hmm. I had to read the rest of the book to find out what <laughs> <Yeah>. happened.
2: <laughs> Leave him hanging, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs>
3: yeah, you know what so I was—that was in conflict. That was that was in too deep, and I knew I was. I was in mm-hmm. way too deep. I finally got away from there. I, I, I wrote the book, and it never felt like it was it was done. And I began talking to my old publisher about, you know, maybe another chapter. And of course, he said, Yeah, we could do that. And then I started finding all these things about him. I thought, You know what? I don't want to be with him anymore. So that's when I got the new publisher. And I said, How am I going to do this? You know, I mean, I've kind of stepped away from the paranormal for a while. I didn't really want anything to do with it. And a friend of mine by the name of Jim Martin, who helped me do. Uh, an event out there. We did an event with Chris Moon. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not. Um, he's also been on a couple shows. Um he said it was probably the most haunted place he's ever been to in his life. Oh wow yeah, that's
0: it, it, that's saying a lot.
3: Yeah it, it is. Well he 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 told me one day in fact he it was it was live video it was live on one of it was on uh I think it was uh Paranormal Warehouse he used to be on there he had his own show called Ghost Box Chronicles um he publicly stated he says you know he said the sally house was the most haunted place that he'd ever been to in his life he said he'd been all over the world he'd been different places everywhere the sally house was number one he says i've been to the stagecoach Inn. the sally house is now number 10 <laughs> and the stagecoach in is now number one i've never been to such a dark place in my entire life wow so, yeah, so that's, of course, I'm gone now. Now people really want to investigate. I tried for seven years to get people to count. I had seven teams in seven years that came in there to investigate. It was cheap. It was $25 a person per night. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to validate what I was actually discovering. Yeah. I you knew because anybody can say a place is haunted. For crying oh, yeah. out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted validation. I wanted people, but nobody had ever heard of the place before. You know, it didn't have any power. didn't have any bathrooms. didn't have any heat. You know i mean power was limited we I mean, really just a couple light bulbs here and there and one outlet and that was like in the basement or not the basement to be the, the drover's room there was one outlet that i could use for for powering anything up that i needed so i mean it's bare bones invested when you go out there i mean you are i mean it's rough mm-hmm. if it's cold outside it's cold inside <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just it's cold so Jim Martin contacted me. He said, hey, Alan, he says, I know you're back in Ankeny and you're doing your thing. He says, what do you think about doing another investigation of the stagecoach in? He said, that last premiere thing we did with Chris Moon, he said, oh, he went off the charts. And I go, oh, no, I do not want to go back. Mm -hmm. And that's what brought the next book in conflict because Mm -hmm. I was. I was in such conflict. Of, of being involved in the paranormal, you know, I hadn't even done an investigation, a private investigation since I got back. And so I began weaning myself kind of back into things and using my experiences to enlighten me and my new quest as I moved forward to finally get back to the stagecoach in for the one last final investigation, which went horribly wrong.
0: Oh.
3: Um, 95,000 words.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a novel. And it, so it's not just about the paranormal. It is seriously in conflict. It's about my conflict and about the journey to come back to where it all began.
0: And by reading that, they're, and you even said the way you write in that, they're going to feel that emotion as they read it. They will. They're going to they're gonna be in their mind's eye walking through that building, seeing the same thing that you're seeing.
3: They, they will. That's, that was the idea in the way I wanted to write it. Of course I'm very vivid when I, when I even talk sometimes, I'm very vivid. And I was, I was able to take my time the second time through and really, I mean, I would talk about the particles of dust in the air.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it was
3: just, it's, it's that vivid Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, it'll just just pull you in. Uh, it, it's so far, nothing but good reviews. Everybody said it's a great read. Um, In Too Deep's a quick read. In Conflict's a little bit longer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, they're, they're both, I, I haven't had anybody that's that said it's, it's it's a bad book. Mm-hmm. The only people that actually read the book are non-paranormal investigators. Oh, okay. Uh, why? I don't know. But yeah. everybody that really is, is not a paranormal investigator are the people that reads it. Because why does a paranormal investigator want to read about somebody else's story? You know, they want their own story. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, if I think of uh, it that,
0: this way, too, though, is if you read a book like this, you're going to learn as you go, which well, is going to help your, help your investigations.
3: Exactly. And that's the thought, you know, learn from my mistakes. And, and I'm not ashamed to say that I made them.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I, I'm not perfect. Um, there was a time that, you know, I thought I knew all and was all. And I was very, very sharply um, told that I wasn't. And that was from the dark side of what this is. Yeah. And I found out that, you know, what we're dealing with, you know, we're flesh, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever's out there, what we can't see can see us. We can't see them. And it can cause a lot of havoc in our lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And In Too Deep explains all that havoc that was in my life. And In Conflict as well it, um, does the same thing. In fact, when I was doing rewriting or writing the book In Conflict, a lot of things were happening between me and my wife. Again, a lot of anger, you know, this blimble type anger was going on this energy in the house as I'm writing this book about the stagecoach and about my journey back there. I mean, it just got kind of intense again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tell people, you know, I put every fiber of my soul, everything that I experienced onto words, onto paper. And I truly believe that that energy Moved onto those sheets of paper, and people will read that. And in some way, I think people say, "You know, I could feel that. I could feel the evil." You know. So, is it possessed? I don't know. I mean, Satan published the first one. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you know, what just popped in my mind is we always, and we talked about it earlier by the building. You know, we always talk about the stone tape theory, how energy is pulsed into things. And you know, it's called the stone tape theory, but it's it is anything you know anything that can absorb that energy
3: well think about this okay the kitchen Mm -hmm. in in the stagecoach and um the 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 guests that would come in there off the stagecoach martha moorhead would make a meal and she would start getting everything ready the stagecoach from a mile or two away would start ringing a bell on on the coach and she would eventually hear that bell say oh People were coming. Yeah. So she started getting everything ready. And they would eat at this. It was a huge harvest table. I mean, it would hold like 15 people. Okay. It is still one of the only original items that's found inside the stagecoach inn. Wow. Um, the table was found in the old barn, which is, which is also, unfortunately, wasn't put on the historical registry because when they refashioned the barn, they used modern lumber to do it. But they found the old table that was in there. Well, guess what? That same room was also the original hospital for then Ida County.
1: Yeah.
3: There were amputations done on that table. Oh, wow. People screamed and yelled and piled on top of somebody to lop off limbs. Yeah. People died on that table. So everything about this place is just indelibly imprinted. Every inch of it has been affected in some way, you know, whether through death, through suicide, through cult-type activities, through attachments to all the items that are in there, uh, to you know John Moorhead's suicide,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, the burial tree—you know this is on sacred ground. Yeah, uh, there was a gentleman. I call him a gentleman. He was—he was—he was a savage. It was uh, Chief incapaduta who was a uh, chief with the Sioux, kind of a uh, I guess a satellite-type village of the main of the main Sioux nation, I guess, um, who was involved in what they called the Spirit Lake Massacre. Have you ever heard of that? No. Um, he was involved in that massacre. He hated the whites, and he frequented the inn quite often. He would never approach it. He would never harm anyone there. Um, and my theory for that is it's, it's native soil, it's native it's sacred ground. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that the natives would want to do would be spill white man's blood on native sacred ground. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the only thing that really saved the Moorheads from from him being you know, the savage that he was. In fact, on one particular day, the only time he really had close contact with any of the Moorheads was Martha had just received a shipment of uh, blue linen on one of the stagecoaches, and she was going to use that linen to make Anna, her younger daughter, a dress. And the chief showed up with a, what they called a, a renegade band of his warriors. And they showed up there. He got off his horse. He just paraded himself right through the front door. This guy was like four. Wow. Okay. Big, big buck. Okay. And Martha was, she was just a little, you know, Irish lady, uh, about five foot nothing. And she's having a tug of war match with this guy <laughs> in her kitchen over this blue linen. And he finally prevailed. He pulled it away from her. And he drapes it over the top of his head, like a headdress. Walks back out the door, gets on his horses, and leaves. They all left. Crazy. I mean I mean, this is the Wild West. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: How I You're in awe. Yeah, I know I'm just I'm just visually (laughs) feeling what she would have felt, anger and and frustration oh, yeah. she was, and she, she, heartbreak. Was, she was
3: feisty she mm-hmm. was very feisty in fact she she kind of ruled the roost um uh, john moorhead went on to be judge of ida county he called him judge moorhead and he was a, he was a land judge he didn't really judge you know like murder trials or anything mm-hmm. like that it was a land judge people would come to him with disputes about you know where a property line would lay and martha said no you're not going to come walking through my inn with your muddy boots. You walk around the building, the house, and you talk to my husband through the window in his uh-huh. office. And so that's what they did. Yeah. I have got more activity out of that one room than almost mm. any room in the whole place. Wow. Um, in fact, the only real trial that he held there was a young man had stole a cow. And they were going to bring him up on charges of, of cattle rustling. Yeah. Which is a pretty serious charge. Yeah. I don't think anything really became of it. They didn't really do anything to him, but they did have him shackled. And one evening, it was Judge, and it was a few of the travelers that came in on the stagecoach, and and a couple of the town folk were there at the old stagecoach inn, and they wanted to strike up a card game, but they were a person short, and so they asked this young man. They said, "Would you mind you know sitting in on a couple hands of cards?" And the young man says, Yes. He says, I'll do that. But you got to do me one favor, Judge. And the judge says, Well, what's that? He says, You know, you can tell my mother that I'm a thief, but please don't tell that I'm a gambler. Oh. <laughs> it's like, true, true story. Yeah.
1: It's
0: like, you know, I'm proud to be a thief, but a gambler just doesn't do it. Don't tell no. the family.
2: Maybe it was higher up on the uh, Ten Commandments or yeah. something. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> must have been. You, you, could steal, you, could, you could steal a golden calf, but you can't get it. Yeah. Right?
0: I still yeah. am going back to that same thought of um, when he supposedly hung himself, when he yeah. suicided himself. And um, the way you describe the tree, all I can picture is if he did do that himself, he'd have to shimmy up the tree right? Tie oh, the, you're, still,
3: you're doing the same thing I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tie yeah. the
0: thing and then swing out or something. I don't know, you know?
3: Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. You can't. The horse is someplace else. Mm-hmm. In fact, they had to go into town uh, and, and get a bunch of the town kids. The, and we're talking teenagers. And they all kind of stood in each other's shoulders. And one finally could get up to the, the limb and to cut him down. Wow. wow. Okay. In his pocket, there was a note that was written that said that he was to give you know, all of his livestock to his brother Mm. and this and that and the other thing. And, and that the, the, the very end sentences were, you know, the, the good fellows would take care of all the ceremony procedures. Yeah. And the last thing in his mouth was, this is all for the best.
0: Oh, wow. That was it. You know, and being a white man, like you said on native American land, hanging himself, I, that just, I don't know how to put it, but it, it puts a kink in the...
3: It tarnishes it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. It, it, it puts a stain there. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when when they finally did, supposedly, if they even buried his body, because the odd fellows, and of course, we all know they would boil down bodies for skeletons so they could use them as... Uh, yeah, for
0: uh, rituals and or Ritual, yeah. you know,
3: yeah. things. Anyway, um, John Moore was buried at the Ida Grove Cemetery without, without a stone. Uh-huh. No stone at all okay. because he committed suicide. Yeah. But... Uh, uh, yeah, there's just everything is just wrong about the whole story.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And you know that that town back in the day wasn't as pleasant as it is today. They call it the town of castles now. Okay. Uh, the the gentleman that went to who was World War II, his name was Byron Goberson. Uh, he created Shorelander trailers. um You've probably seen Shorelander trailers all over the country. Mm-hmm. um He was actually out of Ida Grove, and he. Was in World War Two, and he was in Europe, and and some of them areas were were, the, were a lot of castles and things like that. And he came back, and he started building things that resembled castles, oh. all over town. Oh, cool. So it has a very charm to it. Mm. But back in the early nineteen hundreds, even 19, you know, whatever, even into the early sixties, there was a signs at each end of that town. Get this, and one of them was very large. And it was just where this basically where the stagecoach Inn would be within the very edge of town, a sign that said, blacks, don't let the sun set on you. Oh wow. Horrible. Terrible. We're, we're talking horrible. In fact, get this. On one occasion, I talk about in the book, I'm in too deep, I did a tour. I did a kind of a little talk about, you know, the stagecoach Inn and all the evidence that I'd found there at the public library. And if anybody wanted a tour, then I'd be more than happy to do that. Well, there was like six people that wanted to tag along just to get a little tour, and one was a librarian and her husband, and they were a mixed couple. Nothing wrong with that. He was black. She was white. No big deal. And she walks in. He walks in directly behind her, and I walk in behind them, and all of a sudden he just stopped. He turned around. He almost walked over the top of me. Goes through the screen door, stands out inside, and the yards are thrown up.
1: Oh,
2: immediately. wow. Immediately. Yeah. Had that kind of effect on And I thought, what him?
3: in the world? Two years later, almost to the day, I uh, had a group that come in there, and they were investigating. Not a lot of activity was going on until one of them said, you know, she, she says, you know, my great-grandfather is related shirttail cousin or something to Abraham Lincoln. I kid you not. I seen him. There's no way that anybody could have cut themselves or, or scratched themselves in this manner down the middle of her back. But she was suddenly attacked hmm. oh. as soon as they said she was a relative of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, and now I'm putting things together. I'm thinking yeah. I, I had a guy that got sick that was colored, and now we got a guy that basically rescued the slaves. Yeah. And we're getting attacks. What is this place all about?
0: You know, and being a Native American land too and i've heard so many stories of the land holding that i, I want to say well, it, will evil,
3: but it will forever forever yeah holding until that until it goes back mm-hmm. until it goes back to its normal state mm-hmm. it'll always be cursed yeah wow. always
0: you know and what's your opinion on how can spirits leave marks like that do you think it's um electronic it's do you think it, it's, it,
3: it, it's 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 um,
0: but I mean to leave uh, a physical mark.
3: I, you know, good question. I don't know. If I mm-hmm. if I had that, I'd be a millionaire right now. <laughs> I'd, write, I'd, write, I'd write a paper on it. Yeah, and, and we'd all be done with it. <laughs> How they do it, I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's energy. It's yeah. maybe it's it's telepathic thought. Maybe mm-hmm. you know. I mean, they can make things move. Yeah, you have energy to make a, a cut fall off of a table or. A broomstick fall over or you know, plates yep. fly the, across a room.
0: Plates rattling. You know, that's and energy. The you know? ceiling and if, tiles. If moved, energy yeah. can
3: be targeted in that manner. Why couldn't it be targeted in thought? Yeah. Say for mm. instance through scratching somebody, having yeah. the ability to do that. Yeah. Um that might be another paper for me. I don't there know. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're sparking you on a new journey. Another yeah. writing yeah, did, adventure. Uh, I'm,
3: I'm already on another journey. I'm writing another book. It's um uh, it, it's on along the line of the dark side of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's I, I like to use the word "in" a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen in both my books, "In Too Deep" and "In Conflict." I used to spell "in" as "inn,"
1: mm-hmm.
3: and it's called "Seen In Too Deep" of the conflict. Okay. So it's I like got mm-hmm. all my books all together, yeah, and and it's basically it describes that really sour underbelly of paranormal in the investigation. You know, I've experienced a lot of the good and bad mm-hmm. in investigations. The good mm-hmm. comes from the people that don't do it. Mm-hmm. The bad comes from the people that do do it. Yeah, and you got to um, have that it,
0: because people don't understand what is out there and what they're getting themselves into.
3: Right, you know, it. You know, you get yourself into a dark area anyway when you're when you're dealing with the dead. It says right in the Bible, you know, don't hunt the dead. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason for that, obviously, but there's also a counter reason to it that you know, if you're taking the spotlight away from somebody else that really wants to be seen in public as being the know all and be all, you're taking that that light away. They're going to do everything they can to put a scarlet letter upon your chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very narcissistic world mm-hmm. in the paranormal, and I don't mind saying that. You know, yeah. it, it, that, that doesn't bother me. You know, I again, I'm, I'm my own person. I don't have a team. <laughs> nobody to to the ship on me for saying that, but it, it is. It's a very narcissistic world, and the people you think you know one minute are somebody you don't even recognize the second minute. Um, they happened to meet the stagecoach in. You know, I had a little team going, and. Uh, some of these people that I investigated with that wanted to come along and learn. And I was learning right along with them. A lot of them didn't know a candlestick from a K2 when they started. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they left me, it was abruptly. And they, they tried to tarnish my name. You know, the reason I, you know, a lot of the reason why they left was because I wouldn't post things that I thought had an explanation to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I wouldn't do it. I didn't want to do that. I, yeah. you know, I, I, It's hard enough for us as investigators to to be be taken seriously. But when we start taking evidence and things that could obviously be something else, that mountain that we're trying to climb, that to, to reach the answers and that, that pinnacle at the top suddenly just gets steeper and further away. So we've got to be very truthful with ourselves in everything that we do. And so I wouldn't publish and post a lot of the stuff that I would find, even at the stagecoach in, you know, knowing that I was trying to prove something, I wouldn't post it. And so they said, you know, screw you, Alan, we're going to go st- do our own thing. And next thing you know, you know, these people have five years of experience. You know, <laughs> where'd you get that from? You yeah. know, with me for six months and, you you know, you never even done the paranormal before then. Uh, in fact, uh, I won't say where, but, uh, there was an event going on, and it was when I first met Chris Moon. And uh, he had come to the stagecoach, Inn. then he went to this event thereafter. And he says, Alan, he says, I got to tell you a little bit about my little adventure. I said, What's going on, Chris? He says, Well, you know, I did that event, and he says, Everybody came to my table. I thought we were going to ask me about this, you know, the spirit box, you know, this ghost box that he used. He's very famous for this ghost box. He said, Nobody asked me anything about it. What do you think of Alan? You know, what's he like? You know, did, did, did you talk to Alan? You know, what did what he say? And he says, I, he was blowing me away. He said, they were just like a bunch of like wild jackals <laughs> wanting to find some, get some dirt on you in some way. So, but that's what the paranormal can be about. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be a, a dog eat dog world. So yeah, it really can.
2: Have, did you ever try to communicate with the gentleman that supposedly hung himself?
3: Some um, I think I got some commu- communication with him on several occasions through a K2 okay
2: um,
3: it was uh, in fact it was, oh, it was bizarre I got, it actually caught on video I was I was filming. I had a, a ghost meter sitting on a little daybed it was like a little chair type daybed thing in this mm-hmm. in this men's room area and I also had a K2 standing on the end on this table and the ghost meter was going off. I was asking questions about John. And the ghost meter had never gone off before in that room the entire time I'd ever been there. And it never flashed, never beat, never went on. And I'm filming this. And then all of a sudden, I hear this loud rumble. Because so I'm looking through this little LED screen. One of the crappy Bell and Hal cameras. You know, one of my first IR cameras. Yeah. That has a battery about the size of a matchbook in it. <laughs> and so I'm filming. I'm looking through the, the little LED screen. It's all daylight during the day. And there was just like loud, just clunking sound. I mean, like the whole room just kind of fell apart for a second. I'm looking around and go, what in the world was that? You know, I'm talking to John. I go, Oh my God, that chair moved." Huh. And I walked around the table and there was a chair that was leaning against there was against the wall about, I don't know, 14 feet away from where I was standing on the outside of another doorway that I was standing in. And it had moved in in almost a 45 degree angle and it stopped because the leg had propped itself up against this rug on the floor and puckered up the rug. Hmm. If the rug hadn't been there it would have came on into probably the table.
1: Okay. And
3: I had video of that. You can see in the video when I start that chair is completely flat against the wall and then after this happened you can see it sitting at a 45 degree angle. Hmm.
0: That's awesome.
2: That's incredible.
3: Are you there? We're there. (laughs)
2: Yes, definitely. We're like, okay. <laughs> yeah so you know we hate to cut it short yeah because it's so fascinating like this story is just like many many layers to it oh and
0: the digger so you deep farther you get into it
3: yeah. right yeah I'm just just really getting started here <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well you have to come back for part two yeah you
3: can do that yeah so, we can
2: do that um just so our listeners are aware like, you can get the books on Amazon.
3: Yep. You can get it on Amazon. Yep. You get both books. You can get both "Into Deep and in Conflict on Amazon. I would mm-hmm. advise people to get it while they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's going to go away. It's not. But I was informed through Kindle due to all the prices in ink and paper and publishing processes and things of that nature. Prices are going to go up for distributing the books, which means my royalty prices go down which mm-hmm. means I've got to raise the price of the book yeah. um, to, to offset those costs. Uh, right now, the book is 19 for paperback. It's like 23 for hardcover in both books, but those prices will be going up. So I would urge people if they really want that book to go to Amazon. I do have copies available with me. Those mm-hmm. prices will never change. I already, I already purchased those books at, their, mm-hmm. at the cost, so those will never be you know raised. Um, I also have one book. Let people know I have one book. It's called the, the original book, Ghost and Legend of Stagecoach Inn, that actually went back to the end with me.
1: Wow.
3: It's the one that, that Satan helped me publish.
1: Okay. <laughs>
3: and <laughs> so that one is I, I, I tell people if they want it, talk to me, we'll work something out. Yeah. So, but you can go to Amazon and get it. You can also go to darkriverpublications.com. That's my website. And you can see a little bit about, you know, the pictures of the stagecoach in on there, a little bit more about the book. And you can purchase the book from there as well.
0: That's awesome.
3: And mm-hmm. also on my Dark River Paranormal page, which is on Facebook.
2: Oh, great. And Just we'll...
3: message me, and I'd be more than happy to send you a copy. Um, signed, signed copy. I have one of those squares. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can have a little phone conversation. Sure. We can talk about the end. And and uh, uh, I can make it out however you want to John Doe with best wishes, whatever you want. And I usually have him set out that day and you receive it in a few days and it's all
0: cool awesome
2: great and we'll um have a link in the show notes for our listeners as well to to the amazon
0: yeah alan thank you so much yeah this was You're very well. a beautiful really, stories really, and,
2: really appreciate this
0: and oh not a problem wish you all the luck with the new book coming out
2: yes definitely. yeah
3: okay. that's going to be a while <laughs> don't, don't see it coming out in the next year anyway it's it's going to be it's i'm going to make sure all my um eyes are dotted and keys are crossed
0: yeah. are you going to be at any conventions or anything in the near future
3: yeah i'm actually going to be going to uh the haunted ymca in rock island illinois on oh. august or october 7th of this year okay um i will be situated i believe on the second floor landing um i'll be doing an opening seminar um i will actually be i'm, I'm part cherokee Um, I played the Native American flute, and Mm -hmm. so they'd asked me to open the ceremonies by going to the very top of the building in the staircase and playing what I refer to as a very beautiful sound with the flute and to just kind of loosen things up and get the energy flowing through the building. And then I'll do the same thing at the end of the night. But there are going to be like 50 vendors there. Yeah. uh, And uh, uh, we'll probably see you
0: there because I'm planning on going. So
2: (laughs) No, then we'll meet. (laughs) Hey, there you go. Yes, very exciting.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. This was a blast. And uh, we'll talk to you again.
3: Yeah. Sounds good.
0: And thank you, listener, for tuning in this week. Awesome interview with Alan. I I really love it. Yeah. It was awesome. entertaining. And like we always say, please, wherever you listen to the show, hit that subscribe button. And please, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really means a lot, and it helps get our story out to people that don't even know we exist yet because like we said, the algorithms have changed. So we need those five-star rating reviews and get up on the website and you'll be able to see where we're going to be and everything. And thank you for listening this week. And let's leave you with some music from dead and five. Goodbye, everyone.